0: diners and food lovers everywhere. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig, and uh, I'll tell you, we get so many requests as well as so many, you now, copies, review copies of books, uh, all about vegetarian, vegan, vegetable forward, so we thought we would uh, replay for you two very interesting um, interviews we had on the this- very, very popular and universal subject at this point. Even people who eat meat um, are sometimes just pulling off the veggies and yeah, um, yeah. We, we have all these vegetarian restaurants all over the world now.
1: Now, that, now there's, a, there's one honest person in the studio. <laughs> yeah, well that's that is, true. That, that is, Peter always has this feeling that unless there's meat or fish on the plate, it isn't a meal. Yeah, well. The less... No, I mean, there. What's this lady's point
0: of view? Oh, well, we're going to do, you know, he said ladies first. So somebody who has built the entire career on vegetable forward food is Deborah Madison, a, a wonderful, wonderful cookbook author. And uh, she came out from um, with her first memoir and is called Appropriately... An onion in my pocket. (laughs) And uh, Deborah is always interesting to talk to. So we thought we would, um, for all of you out there looking to to see where we are with our um, our vegetable forward thinking and eating, let's listen to Deborah Madison talk about her life with vegetables. Go
1: ahead,
0: Deborah Madison. your latest book, one of many, "An Onion in My Pocket." Um, I, I've read it with great glee because people have always said to me, um, "You should write your your memoir," <laughs> <laughs> and, and I never have. But you wrote it for me. <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of the 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 things that you talk about takes me back a ways. I must say. Um, except for, I never was a a, a Buddhist student. Uh huh. So, but otherwise, um, uh, uh, a lot of these, this familiarity pops up with, I mean, looking back at what was available in the 60s, mm-hmm. it's rather remarkable, isn't it? It's, Did it's you amazing. It's amazing. Writing this book, bangs
2: of Memory. Well, you, you, I, I didn't hear your question quite, but it is remarkable. I mean, there were no vegetables, really, and um, it, it's just so different now. And although, I don't know, now that we're entering this horrible drought that we're in the middle of here. Oh, it's terrible. In, in New Mexico, I don't know what's going to happen to our vegetables. But we Are you certainly a lot like Seattle, too? We we're not as we're not that hot right now, but we will we have been and we will get hot again.
0: Yeah, I know. Oh, if they don't do something, let's pray
2: for
1: those Hatch chilies, huh?
2: Yeah, but that's down south. That's (laughs) That's not where I am. I'm up north, New
1: Mexico.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I I guess we can look back and start from that perspective. I'd love to know how you. my my life has not been as uh, how would you say ordered as yours the one thing in your life leads to the next leads to the next and so forth it seems to have a great rationale behind it and, and mine doesn't, how did you get it ordered like that is that the way it was or is
2: i have no idea (laughs) i really don't know i mean you know when you sit down to write a book particularly a memoir you 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 do remember all kinds of things and i'm not i don't identify with order at all in my life it seems very um chaotic actually if anything but you know it's interesting to hear you say that
0: Uh uh-huh it's true i mean i can't just It doesn't go linearly at all um, mm, mm-hmm,
2: with cause true.
0: and effect. Where yours seems to be, and don't you think the one thing led to another? I mean, there's always something that moves on to the next logical stage of development.
2: Yes, that's true. There is, but partly, you know, I mean, I wrote this because it was so hard doing greens. It was so, so challenging, so difficult to do this restaurant that was vegetarian in 1979, and um, a lot of the food then was very rich. I mean, it wasn't just greens. It was everybody. We were so excited about food, all chefs were. I remember (laughs) yeah you do <laughs> and it was it was quite a revelation to be cooking at that time i must say
0: uh, Jacques Papin said that when he first came to uh, the states you couldn't even buy button mushrooms. <laughs>
2: Well, I found that true, too. You know, a lot of times um, when I would – I mean, I i lived in San Francisco, and that's where I did greens, and so I always had access to lots of wonderful produce from our farm and and other farms. But when I went on book tour for the first time, I was shocked that this didn't exist everywhere in the country. It really mm-hmm. didn't. And now it does. I mean, even at Trader Joe's, you can buy – arugula and golden beets and all these foods that, you know, were really being introduced at the time we started greens.
0: Right. Uh, You know, I I have to mention, by the way, that um, reading about Patrick, he's he's like a a carbon copy of my husband. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) The same kind of eating, he's slow. Uh uh-huh. When he's full, he stops. <laughs> you know? Yes,
2: and they're both thin because I've seen pictures. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> they're both thin.
2: I know, and pa- and we see Patrick will say even today, even last night. He said, "I'm so hungry. I just want to enjoy this food." And I said, "Well, did you have lunch? No, he didn't have lunch. <laughs> of course not. But today I for, sent him. Who is I
0: this? picking on? My husband. Oh, okay, <laughs> Patrick. He's he he eats slowly. He um, knows when he's full and stops. Um, he doesn't think about food
1: all the time. <laughs>
2: no, he's an artist, so he thinks about art all the time.
1: <laughs> no, I thought maybe you were talking about Patrick O'Keefe.
0: No, 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 not him. Another Patrick. Um, Deborah, how many books have you written
2: i've written I think fifteen, including an onion in my pocket.
0: Wow, I mean, aren't you amazed at that amount of output you know really
2: I guess I am um it, you know it it although it seems also dated now and over for me um I think that that people are just discovering vegetables, and that's wonderful that they are um and I'm probably the opposite. Discovering meat, you know, because I cook for Patrick, and he he grew up very differently than I did. He had steak many times a week, and so forth. So, you know, if he wants steak, I'll, I'm happy to cook it for him. I don't find it so interesting myself.
0: Well, you know, I I, I agree with you. When chewing the same taste over and over and over again, it's not really my idea of something wonderful. No, it's not. (laughs) Uh, But um, no, what was I going to? Oh, yeah. I was going to say that the thing that I find that that most relatable to you is your flexibility. I mean, I I have met um, some. Well, I even have relatives who are vegan who are so militant that Mm -hmm. they're impossible to socialize with.
2: Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, and I, I really feel it's important that we all sit down to the table together. And if I have a vegan coming for dinner and they've let me know ahead of time that, and they're they're sorry and blah blah blah, I will jump through hoops for them. But normally, I won't. Normally, it's it's it's. I, I believe in manners, you know, and saying, "Oh, thank you for having us for dinner. We'll eat whatever is here," and. Um, on the other hand, I don't like to make people uncomfortable and I can be flexible that way. But basically, I would love it if people who are vegan or keto or whatever they are would just set it aside for a moment. The problem with these diets, I think, is that they they promise so much and um, and they never really work, I don't think. I mean, maybe they do for a while. I've certainly tried various things in my life, but now I don't anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never been on a diet.
2: <laughs> no, I haven't either. Not, not <laughs> a real diet. But, I mean, change, changing what you eat and, you know, eliminating certain foods, uh, including other foods that you wouldn't normally include, you know, that kind of thing I've, I have done before, but not now. No, I'm I'm I've always
0: been actually pretty open. <laughs> yeah. Well you were you, you were um you came to this room. Tell us a little bit about your experience in, in the Buddhist retreat. In retreat? In the Buddhist Well, in the, the what do you in call the monastery it? or whatever? In the monastery.
2: Yeah. Um it was great. I loved every single minute of it and it was very, very hard because it was so cold in the winter and so hot in the summer. It was this narrow little valley, you know, in the Los Padres forest that in in um, California that either was freezing cold or very, very hot. And um, and I cooked there and I did other things too. Um I I write about it quite a bit in the book, Uh, and I think probably I will write a book that's based on part of what I learned there, that 72 labors brought us this food, we should know how it comes to us, which was the opening chant to our meal. And um, I really have always been very, very interested in that
0: question. Well, of course, people have suddenly begun thinking of it again. But Mm -hmm. um, there was such denial involved with with your life there now denial in what denial, way? you couldn't do this or nobody was everybody was questioning if you ate something else that you weren't supposed to eat and that sort of thing. oh I
2: don't know I think everybody was ravenous all the time and very interested in food um, and it changed over the years I mean there was a time when there was no sugar but we liked sugar and we like coffee, and we like those things together. Um, mm-hmm. So what can I say about that? You know, no. things change.
0: Yeah, my, my best friend um, was at Siddha Yoga, um, I forget what particular branch this was, in upstate New York. And um, she was my best friend, and she wanted me to share her life. And so she wanted me to come on one of those um well, uh, whatever you call it, I call them retreats because i race raised Catholic. I don't know. Oh, okay. But yeah, but at any rate, um, when we got there, she got very excited because we really lucked out. We were going to have a 24-hour chant. Aye, aye,
2: aye. I Peter and I said, "I've got to get out of
1: here." It was called an a- it was called an ashram, wasn't it?
2: Ashram, it was. right? Yeah, that's where people go. It's kind of like the monastery.
1: I anyway, think, for
2: yogis. What, what, what yeah,
1: happened? Well, let, me, let me share with you what happened. This was the second morning, I think, of her visit to the ashram. And she said, I have to come home. And I said, you can't. You booked yourself in there. You, you got yourself into this mess. <laughs> so, I, so she I, had I, to stay, right? I had no sympathy to offer whatsoever.
2: <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry
1: about that, yeah. I was I was being mother. Well, um, so you learned
0: very important things. Um, your family was complicated, your parents, right? Yes. So. Yes, my parents,
2: I mean, they were born practically 24 hours apart, and they were so different about food it was kind of hard growing up in a way um i felt very bifurcated and torn between uh a feeling of abundance which came from my dad and a feeling of scarcity which came from my mom so i never knew if i could really afford good olive oil or not now now that's different now of course i can and i do but um but yeah it was it was a little bit <laughs> it was a little dicey to say the least
0: yeah, well, my mother was another one of those that grew up during the Depression, and it mm-hmm. stuck with her mm-hmm. every little way. I mean, things like collecting bits of soap and putting it in with water in a jar to use to wash her stockings and things. You know I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah, no, the, that did leave a big impression on people. and But, you know, my mother was fine. She never, her father never, always kept the job and he worked for Lord & Taylor, I believe. And um, and same with my dad. They never stood in soup lines or anything. But my mother took it very, very differently than my father. And Mm -hmm. she was a New Englander, and I think that had something to do with it and maybe an immigrant, although they had been there for three generations. You know, I think that, that leaves an impression, too.
0: Right. You were you open to a lot of different experiences, as I read in in your memoir. Mm-hmm. And importantly, um, you did have some amazing experiences with interesting—not only interesting, but very. Um, uh, well, what's the term? People in your life um, that yeah. not only yeah exposed you to so many things.
2: Yes, I did. A I was bit.
0: Very... I mean, Alice is one do you to talk to our listeners about that well yes from... i did
2: work at shape and nice um back in the day when you could just do that you know it wasn't such a big deal as it is now and alice was actually there along with um other people jeremiah tower mark miller oh, yeah. He's wonderful, and, yeah. yeah and you know and like that and i just came to dinner she invited me to dinner and um so three of us came she said bring your friends too so three of us went and we had um a most amazing meal and i after that meal i said i have to work here i don't care what it takes i've got to work here so um when we went back to the city that night I noticed that the abbot's light was on, and so I went up and I said, I have to work at Chez Panisse, I'm sorry. I I mean, because at the Zen Center, you never said what you wanted to do. You were given an assignment for what to do, what would help you to grow or whatever. And he said, fine. (laughs) But I didn't know about greens at that point, so um, I'm, I'm sure he had that thought in mind that, oh, yeah, she wants to do that. Well, she she's interested in food, and she's done a lot of cooking, and so yeah, why not?
0: Well, so I did. Me, you you did. A, you earned a, a lot of information, and um, I, I guess you had the basis of creativity in there. But uh, the, you really you, you're essentially self-taught, right? Yes, I am. I never hmm. went to cooking school. So how did you ever, I mean, you you became really sophisticated. And for a while you never even um, were exposed to travel, but then later you got to travel.
2: Yes, I did. And, And once I did, it changed everything. But I think, I don't know how sophisticated I was. I think my recipes were very fundamental and very simple in a way, um, you know, and they always have been in fact i I like cooking them um, and i 've cooked from my books a lot during this pandemic year but um, i don 't know i I think people have gone on to much more gorgeous foods and so forth than when I started and i i didn 't do greens for very long, really, only three or four years but it was long enough, you know, to make it happen, mm-hmm. to get it to happen. I'm actually, um, right now, I'm very intrigued with the Chef's Garden Cookbook by Farmer Lee Jones. Yeah, and I keep
0: asking them because I, I subscribe to them, them from time to time, mm-hmm. and I know, I, I know uh, Lee really well. And, hmm. But nobody's sending me a copy of that book, you know, to review. I'm surprised.
2: Huh, I'm surprised. Yeah, well, I, I I actually, uh, he sent me a box of goodies from his farm, and I must say I was so impressed and so amazed
0: to, to actually that.
2: taste them. I mean, I feel like I've tasted quite a few foods, but these, these were very, very different. And there's so much information in this book, and his recipes are so beautiful, and they're doable, a lot of them, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to get on them again and, and see. But, Do that. Um, it, it's really superior produce, um, and he did a, a quick turnaround when pandemic hit and all the restaurants closed. Yeah. But I guess these now, of course, they're opening up. his back to, um, uh, prioritizing the, the uh, professional chefs.
2: Well, uh, I hope he is. I hope he didn't lose his business. I worried about it. You know, um, worried about him during the pandemic because you know it's hard to farm and then you have climate change and then you have nobody buying or using the food and that's got to be hard and you're writing a book you know but um i love what he's done and i think that it's more emblematic of what people are doing now although i can't imagine it quite like that because people are busy you know they've got homes and kids and so forth and so on but but even so you know i'm looking at a picture right now of wood roasted hubbard squash with dashi what could be simpler than that not very it's very very simple really and I was looking at that picture because I did decide to plant squash this year, winter squash, which I don't usually do, but it's been so hot, and they are sprawling around. And I'm, so I'm looking at the labels to see what I have <laughs>
0: out there. <laughs> yeah, and this the garden where we are. It's just rained all the time, and so mm. it's just a mess. Where are you drought, in the west southwestern Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh? Oh, you
2: are. Yeah. yeah. And we have no rain at all. I mean, it's supposed right. to be right now it's supposed to be our rainy season, but mm, maybe every 5 nights or so we get a little bit of rain, a tiny little bit of rain. <laughs> and you know what? The plants respond so much to rainwater. I can't believe it. You know, I mean, I water uh, very cautiously and carefully um from water I collect from our, you know, our cooking and so forth mm-hmm. and But when the minute it rains, all kinds of things come up. It's amazing. The amaranth is like up and beautiful, and it's ready to grow. I don't know. I hope it rains some more so it will continue to grow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, What about some other people that influenced you? Um, Other people who wild experiences, like the the woman in upstate New York. (laughs) Tell us about her who who is that the one that in new york that you've you helped out with her she called you her slave
2: oh nancy wilson ross in yes in, yes, in old westbury um Oh Nancy was wonderful. I loved that year or the couple of years I got to spend with her, um which was mostly cooking and being her little slave in the kitchen and and then up at the in the Adirondacks where we you know where we cooked and ate and worked in the garden and wrote books and things like that and and
0: she nancy how did you get there i I didn't quite understand how that happened
2: well i got there because um her husband had died recently stanley young and um and the abbot of Zen Center knew Nancy and knew she needed help, and so he would periodically send people to go and live with her. And then it was my turn, so I went. And that's all. That's how I got there.
0: I see. And, but, and then she took you to Europe?
2: She took me to Europe. I went to Europe with her, and we had a wonderful experience, which I wrote about in the book. That yeah. we, where we had a meal in Scotland that changed my perspective forever on cooking. It really became my north star.
0: And why was that? Explain that one.
2: That was because every, we. First of all, we were. We were famished, and it was so, so cold outside. Oh,
0: tell me. I've never been <laughs> yeah, you wetter and colder my whole life than when I was in Scotland.
2: <laughs> and this this was um in November actually it was just before the election um in the United States and Jimmy Carter was elected then so it was quite some time ago but um we were starving and cold and we needed we needed some food and this woman in an inn was starting to cook dinner and she agreed to feed us and she ushered us into the dining room and we sat and we looked outside and we at the garden and we could see Brussels sprouts some potatoes and leeks and then beyond that was a little loch a lake and there were fish in the lake and and pretty soon she brought us our lunch and it was exactly what we'd been looking at in the garden <laughs> and the lake and it was so amazing and it was so delicious and she was so kind and together those things really really made a difference to me
0: now you you write a lot about Sahara um I had that cookbook, the bread cookbook, the first one mm-hmm and um I'm interested in that, and also in the state of health food stores you even talk about the difference in smell
2: <laughs> yes, I did and it's I remember <laughs> that. Oh, I'm glad you did. Thank you. Um, I knew nothing really about the bread book. Um, I mean, it came out, and I use it now and then, but not very often, Um, although I am very now interested in grains and sourdough bread. But um, I didn't write that book. Edward S.B. Brown wrote it. But in terms of the health food stores, I mean, I used to go to a health food store and, um, on Sutter Street in San Francisco when I felt I needed a little revival and, you know, of, of my spirit and my health and everything smelled like silage and it was kind of wonderful actually and, and the women who worked there were dressed like
0: nurses and so forth. And yeah, I thought that was very funny. That's something I don't remember. The nurses.
2: Huh. Huh. And then it moved on from there, you know, to more the smell of patchouli oil, and I remember those health food stores very well because there was one quite close to Zen Center that I used to go to. And, um, that's when, that was before there was meat in stores. Everything was, was vegetarian in that way, but, um, you know, then when Whole Foods and alfalfa's and places like that opened up, and there were these huge meat counters that were so long and so big, people were really offended. But, um, they persisted, and that's what you have now. I, I think things have changed so much since we were young. Um, you know, when I grew up, we didn't have a lot of meat, but what we had was, was everything was GMO-free. We didn't think twice about it. Now, right. Nowadays, you have to be very selective if you care at all about your health and, and the health of the animals you're
0: eating. Right. Um, you know, I was going to ask you some other things, but I might as well jump in where I was really aiming, which is like, uh, you look at the scene today. Now, you, you've sat and contemplated all of this past history, but jump ahead to where we are now, and where do you think we're going to be going?
2: I have no idea where we're going, and I'm very worried about it. In fact, mm-hmm. I was it's supposed to be on two Zoom broadcasts today talking about the future of food um, oh, yeah. at this time, and and it's fine that I'm not. I'd, I'm happy to be talking with you, too. Um, but this was what we were going to talk about, and I don't know. Um, I mean, I was on the board of the Southwest Grass-Fed Livestock Alliance for many years, Um partly because in new mexico which is such a dry dry state people have to really raise beef differently if they're going to do grass-fed grass-finished beef and put water back on the land and they've done that and the water is for wildlife as well as for anybody else too so um that's just you know i'm sorry somebody just came in um so that's just fine. Uh, what's going to happen with vegetables and produce? I don't know what's going to happen. I think we're just going to have to wait and see.
0: Well, I, I don't know where we're headed. I mean, this, the whole climate change thing is just so terrifying I, in, in every regard. I can't believe some of the temperatures achieved in Seattle, for example.
2: Oh, I know. In the northwest, is, is utterly shocking.
0: Of course people. they I read that they didn't have any um, the grapes were all fine. Um but I know they had storms in, in um uh, the the northern wine regions of Italy that wiped out entire crops.
2: Aye aye. Aye. aye, aye yeah. Aye, aye,
0: aye. yeah. And true. then we interviewed um, somebody from the was it the Grape Grapefruit Council or something, the Citrus Council in Texas. And he pointed out that um, this, the winter storm, um, not only did it kill the, uh, the current crop, but well, there were two crops. were The one that was there was wiped out and destroyed, and then the one just coming in was also killed. Hmm. So that there are two seasons behind in, in grapefruit production.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Interesting.
0: I didn't know, know that. But, I mean, that's going to bits and pieces here and there and the other way, but um, it's, they're all going to add up to this, this, this morass of, of everything not being what it was supposed to be, and we're not prepared for that yet.
2: No, we're not. And I really fear we're going to go back to one kind of lettuce and two kinds of apples and, you know, like it was in this... 50s and the 60s and that would be i don't know i hope not i hope that's not going to happen
0: there's so many visionaries involved with food now i thought that they might not let that happen
2: Well, I don't know that they can, that they can do much to prevent it, actually. But everything is very, very fragile. And, I mean, I just went down to the Gila wilderness in southern New Mexico, and Mm -hmm. I was so impressed with the diversity of plants that when I came home, I thought, oh, why am I plant, growing anything in my garden? Why don't I eat wild food? Well, I'd starve (laughs) for (laughs) one i think because there isn't a lot but i did just harvest black currants um off of my currant bushes because the birds plant them they're native ribes and and the birds plant them and everything is full of fruit this year so i picked all the black currants yeah but and it's my small.
0: My Asian pear tree is full of fruit, too, but it's not really that good. But
2: yeah, and everything is small, too. I mean, the I Africans. was going to say, they're
0: really, they're like marble sized, my Asian pears. Yeah. Really?
2: Well, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen.
0: But it's I been raining total. every day, so.
2: Hmm. That's not good either, if it's no. raining every day. On the other hand, I mean, we usually have a monsoon this type of year, this time of year, pardon me. And, um, and it rains every day starting around 11 for a couple hours or so. And then it stops, and it mm-hmm. dries out. But because we've had no rain, the earth is so thirsty. It rains when it does rain. It just absorbs right in, and it's dry as can be the next hour. Mm-hmm. So Not good. No, it's not good to have no rain. It's not good to have too
0: much rain. Well, you see, what's happening in Germany, I mean, it's just going to accelerate all the Unless somebody does something, and I'm with you, I'm not so sure that there's all that much that people can do. I don't know. I'm not sure either. I mean,
2: we have to. We have to do something about the climate change. And I mean, I've I've known about this for the last 30 or 40 years, and I now finally people are getting interested because why? Because they have to move, or because something like that is taking place.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but
2: and and the prices in real estate have gotten absurd
0: oh please you know. it's another one <laughs>
2: is that true truly
0: you are yes, too terrible hmm. i don't know how people live but well tell me this what what do you think is going to for you is going to be next are you still doing cooking classes
2: I do. I I mean, I only do them when people want to, when they show up, when they come, when they call, but I like to do just for two people or so, so that people can really tell me what they want to know about, what they want to learn, and that's been very, very
0: good. Well, you know, one of the things that I found enigmatic in your book is that with this life of eating and all this vast experiences, you... You couldn't think of any really knock your socks off meal that you recalled in detail.
2: Well, I, you know, there are lots of knock knock your socks off meals, you know, but they're intended to be that way, you know, like, um, you you know, um, I mean, I did have that first meal at Chez Panisse, which was just so dynamic and so forth, but in the end. And when I talk about meals, like the lunch that Ernie made for me and others like that, um, they're they're not knock your socks off in that usual sense, but they were interesting to me. They were vital to me. And I've recalled them after many, 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 many years and sometimes decades. So um, that's what really makes
0: a difference to me. Right impacting you mm-hmm. basically
2: yeah i mean i have eaten lots of three star meals where they're fantastic and you think oh my god how do they do that or how do they know that i want this kind of wine right now and but they do and i mean that actually really happened to me and um i've eaten it at, at any number of three star restaurants, but i didn't want to talk about restaurants that were meant to shock and awe, which I think a lot of those are um, but more about meals that sometimes had meat sometimes didn't but which I remember um, be you know because they were important to me
0: mhm. So that's the difference. I mean, I I didn't really mean knock your socks off. Yeah. I meant really impactful, I guess, is what I was thinking. Yeah.
2: And and the last chapter is filled with descriptions of meals like that, too. Um, Because I, and some of them are about eating meat, some of them are not. Some of them have foods I never, ever, ever would have bought in my life, like (laughs) Ernie's Ernie's steak and his margarine and zucchini that he cooked in a whole cube of margarine forever and ever. But, But you know what? It was good, and it taught me that if you really cook squash, summer squash it's going to be wonderful and it's going to be rich and i am just going to get up and let in a dog who is scratching at the window here <laughs> and getting in our conversation come on in for you there he's a big beast okay he's in
0: okay so where where do you stand now i mean uh, so you look back Um, You've sorted through memorable and impactful and and not, and you came up with some ideas. You have even a whole chapter on manners, which we've talked briefly about. So what, what interests you going forward now from here?
2: I think what interests me is actually not so much a book but um as I'm very involved with a with a Rio Grande Grain project here, growing grains, trying to get people to to be interested in grains, to make them accessible, to sell them at a farmers market. So I might just be back at the farmers market again with with little bags of grain. I don't know. Um, but I mean I've taken a gone to grain school in Colorado and that state is really doing a lot with grains we could too this used to be a a grain bread basket for Pete's sakes northern New Mexico was with Sonoran wheat and other kinds of wheat so probably that's what I'm going to be spending my time with and um, the garden I've cut way 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 back on because of the drought and yeah And I will write, I do want to write this book um, on 72 labors because there's so much about food that I'm interested in, how it comes to us, you know, that endive is a vegetable in two parts. And I say that and most people look, what? What are you talking about? And I try to explain (laughs) to them how it's growing
0: and so forth. Well, I I certainly really... um, It made me think. It made me look back. It made me think of where we were going, reading your book, Um, listeners. Again, it's Deborah Madison, uh, and it's called "An Onion in My Pocket: My Life with Vegetables," and it's very uh, on on target, trend wise and time wise, and and I think it's very important to uh, to consider this. Um, We we just actually interviewed somebody about. Um, the fake meat. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, we have to. Have to decide decided the conversation. I find it appalling to tell you the truth. But anyhow. it is appalling. It's appalling that we even
2: have to think about it. You know?
0: I know. I know. It really is. That and then the next thing is this, the uh, muscle grown and petri dishes.
2: <laughs> oh, I know.
0: Um, it doesn't interest me at all. <laughs> so, well, okay, Deborah. Um, anything else you'd like to add before we conclude this? No, but Anne, I
2: just want to thank you very, very much for this interview, and for your other
0: interviews as well, and Peter too. Thank you. Okay. Well, it's it's an. Um, I mean, the, the attraction, of course, is the many interesting people involved with food and how many aspects of it there are.
2: Mhm. That's true. there are a lot of aspects of it, and
0: okay, and, we'll have, you know. have fun with you.:
3: Podcasting services for on-the-menu radio are provided by asp station www.aspstation.net.
0: Um, next up, we have, I think, the, the prince of the, of the vegetarian um, um, ventures is Richard Landau of Veg in Philadelphia. We have several restaurants, actually, but um, he opened Veg. When, well, he'll tell you about it. I mean, it was not a sure thing that a vegetarian restaurant was going to be a big big hit in Philadelphia. Quite,
1: quite the opposite.
0: Yes. <laughs> but he's a brave man, and I think he'll, he'll talk to you a little bit about his experience with this. Um, yeah. Veg is like world famous, and it's vegetarian.
1: All right. So, we let him play? There we
0: go. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I will edit this out, but he's uh, from Yorkshire, yeah.
3: Oh, great, cool. My favorite place in the world, England.
0: Yeah, but and that also was mixed up with um, uh, Australia and a long time in the U.S. Um, anyhow, okay. let's, let's get this underway here. Sure, um, sure. Richard Landau, we're sorry we can't have your um, wife partner, Kate Jacoby, with us, um, but I wanted to talk to you because I didn't want to just assume that I was dis- describing a trend, but, um, I had been noting, I can tell from the, the, the books that I get, that this new, um, popularity of everything vegetable and vegan and vegetarian, um, and also certain restaurants are opening that were, um, Dirt candy was one of them that, that got my attention. But I'll tell you, the, the trend was confirmed when, um, uh, uh what's his name? Daniel Hume uh, turned 11 uh, Madison Park into a, a vegetarian, almost vegan restaurant. Uh, is this, t- <laughs> let me just back up a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself you opened um your first restaurant in um in t- n- what 1995
3: or something 1994 yeah a long time ago and,
0: yeah and but you opened veg which is fully veg vegetable forward and and uh, a large part vegan in 2011
3: That's right and it's fully got- vegan fully vegan
0: Fully vegan, okay. Yes. And then fancy radish, where does that come in?
3: Uh, that opened in 2018, and it's basically, it's like the, a version of veg down in D.C. Okay.
0: Well, all right, so uh, you you were raised as a meat eater. Um, how did you get so advanced, and how did you have faith and trust in your instinct to do this? I mean, it's a hard market the restaurant industry and Oh sure and,
3: and, yeah
0: I mean that's bold you're very brave <laughs> that was I was,
3: well, back in 1994, you know, we, we never even used the word vegan or vegetarian. Well, first of all, the word vegan was almost unheard of back then. Yeah. But, you know, we we did not use the word vegetarian anywhere on the menu because it was a cocktail party joke. You know, it was basically <laughs> conjured up images of, you know, hippies and, you know, naked people running around at Woodstock. Yeah, it was a joke if you were a vegetarian. You know, what do you eat? Bean sprouts and and all that kind of stuff. So we stayed. My my goal was to make food that tasted like it was as satisfying as anything that had meat in it. So the first thing I want to do was disassociate myself from anything that hinted at vegetarianism. The way the world saw it in the mid 90s. Now you know, then enter like Bill Clinton who becomes a vegetarian. Then enter like this whole new thing that's happening nowadays. You know, and a lot of people are looking at me like, "Wow, wait a second, this guy was on to something." So, it's it's been a long ride. It's been it's been an absolute blast watching it from the audience how this whole thing has evolved since the mid '90s. It's been an absolute blast.
0: I'll bet. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I bet. Yeah, but I am correct that that um, even people who are not purely vegetarian seek out. Um, I know they seek out vegetable forward restaurants
3: now oh sure Um, sure and and, 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 yeah well that was my target audience from day one i you know being a vegetarian myself i recognize there's almost nowhere to eat so the vegetarians and vegans they were coming anyway we had them build an audience uh all you had to do was make decent food that tasted good and they were there i wanted to reach out to the mainstream I, i felt that back in the 90s it was a very kind of you know, again, it was a very misunderstood um, concept. It came with a lot of preconceived notions. So I wanted to reach the mainstream. Well, how do you reach the mainstream? Number one, don't even tell them it's vegetarian. Just give them good food. You know, and number two, cook food that they can relate to. Don't don't make a bunch of, you know, grassy, seedy, hippie food. Make some really good food that they can understand.
0: <laughs>
2: right? Because the stomach
3: that listens. Was my experience
0: with it. It was, was something that was really
3: awful. <laughs> Oh yeah oh my god. Well that was the other thing. I had tried a few vegetarian restaurants back then. And I'm like, oh, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me. This stuff is horrible. This isn't even food. This is some kind of weird diet. And um and I found that, you know, when you mentioned vegetarianism back then in the nineties that people automatically assume like, you know, you were on this weird diet. you're trying you're on a cleanse or on this spiritual high or you're <laughs> kinda of induced some kind of hallucinations, you know.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, you know. Yeah, gotta got kinda of trigger those flashbacks. You know, now they call them now they're senior moments. They used to be flashbacks, now they're senior moments. <laughs> is, that, is, that
1: what, is that what I should say? Is that what I should say I'm having a senior moment? It's it's really, it's really funny that there's a vegetarian restaurant in Pittsburgh, but it's also Polish.
0: Oh yeah, Polish vegetarian Oh
3: wow, check that out.
1: Yeah, we have yeah, friends
0: that really just moved to Pittsburgh,
3: so we'll have to check Who that did? out. Who uh, did? friends of ours just moved out to Pittsburgh to Mount Washington.
0: Oh, they're in Mount Washington. Great. Great views. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the, this place um, it has an unfortunate name. I, really, oh, I, wish, like I wish that that listened to me. <laughs> Would you want to go to a, a restaurant called Bitter Ends? <laughs> oh, no,
3: really? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, right. Well, well hey, they, listen, if the food's great,
1: then who cares, right? <laughs> Sweetheart,
0: I was talking about Apteca. Oh, no, it wasn't Bitter Ends, I'm sorry. You're talking about the, uh, the other one, yeah. Apteca. 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 Apteca, Apteca oh, the, okay. Well, Bitter I, I, Bitter I've yeah. heard worse. Bitter Ends is the one his name calls me, but um, they have a form. But anyhow, no, you're right, it's Apteca, and um, it's it soothed on a level that... Um, uh, They've been nominated for Beard
3: Awards. And stuff. Oh, that's all that matters, you know. You, you 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 can name it anything you want as long as the food's good. That's the way I see it.
1: they there, across the street from the cemetery.
3: Yeah. No. <laughs> well, that's a good advertisement to eat vegetarian, you know. <laughs> you well, now,
0: so the um, of course the the options. I mean, we went through a phase, if you remember. That drove me crazy. That's when I was still a restaurant critic for Our City Magazine, um, and the only vegetarian restaurant around. Uh, it made. What do you call that? Where they make the, the vegetarian food look like meat and things like
3: that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the mock meats. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Th-
0: I mean, my my cousin's daughter is um, vegan, and I did Thanksgiving once, and she insisted on having a, a, her her portion look like turkey slice. And there, there, I went shopping, and I found all all this fake food. I don't know what it is. You know what I'm talking about. This yeah, sure. It's well, They call them
3: the mock meats, yeah, or the, the plant-based yeah, my, meats it. these days. I think they have their place. I, and, you know, I eat them occasionally at home. I enjoy them because I grew up on this stuff. To me, you know, heaven was like a turkey club sandwich or a, a really good cheeseburger um, chicken sandwich with, like, you know, a ranch sauce on it or something. I, I grew up on this stuff. I love those foods. So, you know, I'm, I could put a carrot on a bun and try to pretend, or I can eat this stuff that recalls what I ate I mean it's still food and you know people bring up the big argument about process these days well it's a process product well if you think about the process meat takes to get to your plate that's not such a pretty thing either so you know it's a tough call Um, I think they have their place they I think they demonstrate to people that it's really not the meat that you're eating that tastes so good it's this kind of flavor that's this mouthfeel and it could be recreated without slaughter and I think that's a really important point to make. To public. Now, what you do with it after that is completely up to you, but I think the point needs to be made that um, when you eat meat, you're not. The, the, that whole kind of idea that it's the meat that tastes so good is not really true. It's it's what chefs do to it that kind of make it taste so good.
0: Yeah, yeah well, this better. really good friend of ours who just died, he was a big architect and art colony from St. Ives in, in the UK. Uh, he was. Um, he was vegan because he lived for a while across from an abattoir, so that's his reason for becoming vegetarian. Oh wow! Yeah,
3: yeah. And
0: what was your reason?
3: Well, I just I learned the truth about what was coming onto my plate. You know, I uh, you know I love vegetables. I had a little vegetable garden at home, and I thought was a very beautiful process to go out to my garden and pick a tomato or pick a cucumber and eat it. It was like this giving thing. And um, what a beautiful process. And I made my own tomato sauce when I was very young. I I was always into that. Uh, You know, when my mom made steak for dinner for the family, she wouldn't eat it. And I asked her why. And she said, I I just can't. But she never really told me why. I also noticed my dad, when he would eat chicken, couldn't eat it off the bone. And again, so I started asking these questions, well, why? So as I, I said to them, well, wait, wait a second, where does this meat come from? And when they told me, you know, this is way before you saw the YouTube videos or the undercover slaughterhouse, you know, videos and all that. I was appalled by it. I'm like, you guys have been giving me this stuff? It's a dead animal. You give a kid a dead animal and don't tell him what it is? I mean, I was appalled by it. So the, I already loved the taste of meat. I wasn't one of those people that said, well, get this stuff away from me at any cost. I, I had to find a way to get those flavors you know, um, and continue to enjoy them while not hurting the animals. And, you know, the contrast between the beautiful process of picking your produce and bringing it in versus the process of getting meat onto your plate were as different as night and day. I couldn't believe that meat and vegetables were on the same plate with each other considering the process both of them had to take. Um, I also realized that, you know, almost anyone can go to a garden and pick their vegetables, but very, very few of us can go out to a, a field and, Kill a cow and rip it apart and and cook its meat. Some people can, you know, and, but you know most I of know us can. Lots of and
0: but now, so see your your uh, stance is more um, philosophical, ethical, and ethical, sort of yeah, thing.
3: for sure, okay. yeah,
0: ethical. And now um, let's see, I have two things to ask. First of all. Do you think that the rise in interest in vegetable-forward and vegan and vegetarian menus today is linked to this new um, concern about health?
3: Oh, absolutely, 100%. Okay. I, I used to say there's three reasons you should eat more plant-based diet. E- either you know lean there, dabble in it, wall plant-based, I mean, I don't know. I don't tell people what to do with their own health and their own diet. But there's three reasons. Number one is the animals. Um, Some people just don't care. Some people hunt. Some people could care less that the animal, you know, it doesn't matter. They're going to keep eating it. Well, number two is the environment. And um, that started to catch on in the 90s when Al Gore was uh, kind of making a lot of noise about you know, what was happening to the environment, and cows are a major reason that the, uh, we have these greenhouse gases, that changed a lot of people, but not all of them. There's other people that don't care about the environment. Well, they say, when I'm gone, I don't care. <laughs> it's fine. I'd, again, I'm not going to tell you what to think or do with your life. But the number three reason is the one that I attribute to everything that's happening these days, and that is personal health. A lot of us are watching our parents get older and deteriorate, and we're scared Uh, pharmaceuticals, medicine, you know, know, let's take Lipitor, for example. You know, if you have high cholesterol, well, there's only one way to get cholesterol. That's through animal products. You have a choice. Mm -hmm. You cut out some animal products or you go on Lipitor. And I think a lot of people are seeing this. You you can manage your health through what you eat. And one of the best ways to do that, again, I'm not a doctor, but through a plant-based diet. They're seeing the proof out there. They're seeing that they don't have to sacrifice anything. Now, 20 years ago, you sacrificed a lot. You you were eating salad. You were eating nut loaf. You were eating whatever peanut it may butter. be. <laughs> yeah, North peanut butter, butter. <laughs> spaghetti, if you went vegetarian. These days, yeah. I mean, you can eat a bacon cheeseburger. You can eat anything. So you're not giving up flavor. You're getting all the health benefits. And I think that has absolutely changed the world right now. And it's continuing to uh, drive this. I mean, you have corporations that can, you know, have, they can do anything they want with their money and they're All investing in plant based, uh, all of them, all over the world. So many things are happening. So,
0: well, they're also investing in in producing the 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 fake stuff too. I mean, that's this that I really object to. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you do object. Yeah, there's a. We yeah, a lot of hardcore people against that. Have you had that? Oh things?
3: sure, sure. I've I've tried them both. Yeah, they're they're fun. They're fun. You know, they're party tricks. They're, they're it's like yeah, look here's tricks. a bacon That's cheeseburger. A you is. know, <laughs> I, I am not a, I don't object to them because I think they are. They take people to the greater good. I think if you are uh, if you're you're a real foodie and you're really into um, the true culinary arts, yeah, I can see how this would definitely turn some people off. But I I think they serve a greater good. So. Um, you know, I See, get I,
0: I objected. I had a friend who was in um, Alcoholics Anonymous and with her husband and daughter, and they used to buy this fake beer. And I thought that was really not unethical, but I think it was a bad idea because they didn't interrupt the
3: process.
0: You know, mm, it came looking like beer. You know, it came tasting like beer, except it didn't have the alcohol in it.
3: That's a that's a very interesting point. Yeah, I hear you.
1: And I really I never objected it tasted to that. like beer, to tell you the truth.
0: And The stuff that Beezy and Annie uh, drank.
1: Well, the, well, well anyhow, of course, I'm not a beer drinker.
0: Anyhow,
1: I, I never found any fake beer that was that, was, uh, that anything like the taste of beer.
3: Hmm. Of course, you yeah. Know, they, you they, know, I mean, I the think English they can beer. exist as beverages. Um, they can exist as some kind of beverage, but to call them. Uh, beer is definitely a stretch for some of them. You know, I think you can't, you can't look at them as beer. You've got to look at them as alternative beverages, and then they, then they can exist on their own.
0: Well, here's the other thing I wanted to ask you, so that our listeners really get a, a, a good idea of what you're talking about, because people who are used to not having beautifully prepared vegetables really don't have a clue what they taste like or what to expect. Could you just pick some um, of your menu, your uh, dinner menu items, and describe what they are, you know, in, in food-loving terms?
3: Sure. Well, you know, I'll, I'll pick the ones that I think represent um, a, a way to change people's minds about a vegetable that they, they had this stigma about before. So when we... When we wanted to open up a vegetable restaurant, you know, veg was strictly a vegetable restaurant. It wasn't about tofu. It wasn't about fake meat. We wanted to be vegetable for it. I said, we're going to find every vegetable that we've ever known, the ones we hate especially, and we're going to find a way to make them delicious. So my number one or my hit list was uh, eggplant, Brussels sprouts, and sweet potatoes.
2: Oh, that's um, wonderful.
3: Yeah, well, I hated them before. I mean, when I grew up, I had Brussels sprouts out of a can. <laughs> you know, oh, they yeah. were, I mean, that, I that's enough to uh, – they're just terrible. I mean, of all vegetables, to put in a can. So, you know, we found, we found this way to make Brussels sprouts delicious. We started – you know, this is going back a decade. Um, we start shaving them very thin, like on a mandolin. You can do it in a food processor, too. Right. And then you put them on a hot plancha, you know, a griddle, or you can do them in a fry right. pan if you want – and you, you sear them up and you toss them around so they get kind of charred. And once they start to wilt and just change a little bit shade of green, you pull them off. Uh salt pepper, um, and then we used to put this kind of mustard sauce on them, the smoked mustard. And they're absolutely delicious. It eats like this warm coleslaw and it changed so many people's minds about Brussels sprouts. And now now I see them everywhere. Like everyone's got Brussels sprouts on their menu. It's like but they're everyone's frying them, which I think is just cheating. <laughs> you know, you can fry <laughs> anything and them. make it taste good.
0: Crusty, yeah, um, the rest of them, and especially but, uh, their egg, air fryers. Egg, oh yeah! Oh
3: my goodness! Yeah, don't get me started on that. Um, but I egg know. Eggplant was I, another I, one. I
0: have one that's not used. It was sent to me. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, really? <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, go well, ahead. So, go yeah, eggplant yeah, egg was um, another big. Uh, you know. Uh, so uh, eggplant is something that you know vegetarians did eat for years it was like their centerpiece meal I had a yeah, vegetarian teacher parmesan,
0: yeah.
3: exactly parmesan. but you know you you can make anything parmesan and it could taste good you know you're you're frying something and covering it with sauce and cheese I mean come on you you can put yeah. anything in there you know you don't even need eggplant in that dish So and I love the dish so I basically I said well let's let's talk let's look at the eggplant and, well the first thing I realized was that you need really, really fresh eggplant, people who use old eggplant that 's got you know bruises oh, on it and the flesh oh it 's terrible it 's inedible it 's yeah, absolutely right. inedible, so you need a really good eggplant, and what we do is we slice it really, really thin on the mandolin and you just roast it with some neutral oil, salt, and pepper for about five minutes until these sheets become pliable and translucent, and then we wrap them around a filling uh, made from smoked eggplant. Uh, and we add some rice in there for body, and we have this beautiful eggplant uh, brajol that we surround with this Italian salsa verde and put a little um olive puree on top and some and some fried peppers and it 's just delicious it it eats it 's so meaty tasting and yet here we 've taken an eggplant, and we haven 't worked it to death where it 's like unrecognizable, but we 've made it so that people can fall in love with a vegetable that they never thought they 'd like and and that 's really important to me to keep. Finding ways to express those um, those vegetable dishes to to keep people keep their pouts entertained, keep them interested in it
0: well you you're leaning heavily on umami basically
3: oh absolutely absolutely yep. that's our secret weapon i mean tamari a little bit of miso seaweed nutritional yeast all these items are so important just to use a little bit of, keep them in the background uh, the smoking of course is huge and uh you know, once you um, once, once that first bite hits your palate, that's that's our only shot to impress you. Uh, we're not going to do it with a salad. We're not going to do it with a bowl of s- salted nuts. I mean, we we have to we have to make you say wow on that first bite, or we've lost you. So we make sure all of our food has that you know kind of punch. The second you get that first impression.
0: Sounds wonderful. Um, the the, uh, the uh, how long did it take for. Uh, veg to to
3: really get a following well veg veg was a a a really unique um situation i mean it was a darling right away but we had put 15 years in before that a lot of people don't realize this you know from 94 to 2011 you know we uh, i was i started on my own in 94 and i met kate my wife in uh
1: 2001
3: and And she had no background
0: whatsoever in this and now she's a a a psalm and all kinds of stuff right
3: Oh, yeah. Neither did of us did. Yeah, we learned it all in the way. Well, see, what, what we wanted to learn, what we wanted to do, did not exist. There's no school for it. This whole style of cuisine that we do did not exist anywhere. I mean, I couldn't find it anywhere, so we literally had to invent this as we went. And, um, we, and where we did it, you know. That's
0: everybody's aiming for right now. And that's what, sure. what the Daniel well, Hume is going to be after, right?
3: Yeah, well, absolutely. Now, he's going to take this whole, I'm really, all eyes are going to be on him to see what he does. I, I think that was the boldest, most courageous thing a chef could have done. He's sending a powerful message to the restaurant community that these are, this is something we need to look at. You know, not every restaurant in the world needs to go vegan. I'm not going to sit, you know, up on my perch and start to, you know, preach about anything. But the message he's sending, hey, everyone, rethink this. Just take a look at this, rethink this, open your mind, and let's see what we can do. And I'm I'm really curious to see how this all pans out for him. Do you know, think it's,
0: it's sincere? It's not just a ploy to stand out from a whole bunch of really excellent restaurants?
3: That's a great question. I don't know because I don't know what it, what's in his head. Um, I do know that uh, – I mean, I'm just disgusted by social media these days. You know, someone sent me the link to this thing, and I started scrolling down at some of the comments, and I I just got sick to my stomach. The
1: way people behave on social
3: media is absolutely nauseating. And um, so I I didn't even, like, get into, like, all the back and forth of who thinks mm -hmm. he's a hero and who thinks he's, you know, setting up for all this. My own opinion is let's see what happens. I mean, regardless of his intent, he's doing it. And um, it's—I mean, what a, what a fascinating, courageous, bold move to make, regardless of whether or not it works.
0: Of course, you know, he's European. Which I mean, look at the the great vegetarian or vegetable-forward uh, chefs in France.
3: Absolutely, yeah. With, yeah. Sure, yeah. we've eaten at Arpege. We've we've had some yeah. amazing tasting menus uh, in and around uh, England. Uh, you know, and. And it's a, it's a little bit different style of cooking, uh, very ingredient-driven, especially in England, uh, very, very seasonal, very garden-driven. We think we are in the U.S., but I still see asparagus on menus in January here. <laughs> you know, it's kind of – we're a little bit behind, um, but I, I applaud any move towards this, you know, because when I first started doing this, you couldn't find this food anywhere, and now I can basically travel – and walk into almost any restaurant or any great hotel, and they're going to have food that's not just a gesture towards the way I eat, but an actual sincere um, expression of, of what the kitchen's doing to put on the plate. Because I don't, I don't want something special. I don't want an apology, and I don't want a little gesture. I want to taste what the kitchen does that they do for any other guest. but I just don't want the meat on the plate. And they're doing that everywhere. Amazing well, time. That's
0: why I'm talking to you because you represent exactly what I think needs to happen with the the current uh, attitude towards what you put in your mouth.
3: Oh, absolutely. Sure. So,
0: well, you're cool there. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: so, um, anyhow, uh, anything we, else we should know about how to keep this going or just um, we'll see it all? unfold and be happy about it
3: well yeah i think it's we it's going uh, i mean i get all these uh we have a lot of um people to come in or they're on the inside and they know where the investments are happening and i think uh i hear a lot of chatter out there um you know we we get opportunities on our desk every day invest in this consult on that you know and i'm just tired at this point i the pandemic's taught me one thing and that's like do what you love. Don't try to take over the world. Don't try to be all things to all people. And when people tell you, we need a veg here and we need a veg there and do this, do that, write another cookbook. No, do do what you want and do it well. Don't do what other people need you to do and stop chasing this American dream of bigger, better. Everything has to be so large. Um, I, I I'm very happy with the two restaurants we have. I love being in my kitchen again. Um, I love being at the helm. I love creating these dishes. I I just love everything about it. So we don't t- take any opportunities anymore. I'm happy to listen to anybody, but um I just well, want to I you just want to talking
0: to us. I mean. Yeah.
3: Oh no. Hey, I'll talk to anyone. I just don't want to be I don't want my picture on someone's website. I don't want to consult. I don't do you I don't, don't want to do any finally... of that thing.
0: Do you think we finally can get rid of all these uh, these listicles, like the top 50 um, wrestlers in the world?
3: <laughs> I would love to, because, you know, that's one of the things that poisoned our industry. It poisoned the minds of all of our chefs. And I'm very guilty it. of it, too. Oh, I chased the headlines. We all did. You know, we, we know. say I mean, we're only in were it to cook. A
0: James Beard nominee how many times?
3: Six years in a row, a James yeah, Beard what, nominee, a finalist. He, and, Beard had a good
0: story um, uh, about the.
1: What's his name? Floyd Card, Floyd Cardoz. Uh, who was it? It was Floyd. Floyd Cardoz. From- oh, Floyd
0: Cardoz was. Uh, he was up. Was it six?
1: He was actually. He was actually five. Five. He, he had but, but five I, nominations. But I asked. I asked him. What, what will you do if you are a finalist again this year and you don't win again? He said, "I'm going to take them all down."
3: <laughs> nice well i'll tell you i i don't think there'll be james beard awards next year because this year I was you can't wondering 2021 you can't judge restaurants on this year because now we're coming out of the pandemic and facing a massive labor shortage no restaurant is running as it should be right now or as it wants to be so uh the critics need to give us a break uh james beard needs to take a break because you know what it's all distraction at the end of the day I chased you know, it. We we got you know, we got I four out of that. four bells and I was so ecstatic about it and but you, then you gotta say then what? Well then you just keep cooking and that has to be okay and I'm great with that now. I wasn't before you know, but now well, I'm great I, with I,
0: that. honestly I was getting to be ridiculous. I mean um, I was one of those jurors and um I mean they knew who won in twenty twenty, you know. And they sure? didn't they, they didn't match up with their brief. Don't even get me started on that, not to mention fifty to best. Yes. There's one there's,
1: there's one thing we don't there's one thing we don't have as a result of this conversation. What? We don't we don't have an invitation. Oh <laughs> an invitation. You need an
3: invitation.
1: <laughs> oh I thought that was implied. We have we haven't we haven't been to Philadelphia for more than a year, even though our grandchildren are there only because of the pandemic. But pretty but pretty soon we're going to be free to move again.
3: Well, we'd absolutely love to have you here. And uh, we're headed out to Pittsburgh sometime in July to see our friends out there. So uh, we we'll get to call. yeah check out some of the places you have out there. So And, and we haven't yeah. done a lot of traveling either. And i got to tell you, don't miss it. I don't miss it. I've been so happy at home, you know, hanging out with uh, Kate and our son and our, our friends and just doing five start? days at the restaurant. He's 13 now. Oh and boy, uh
0: that's a, that's a challenging age.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, for you know, it's every my mom always said, you know, little kids have little problems, big kids have big problems. So he's he's a medium <laughs> kid right now. So <laughs> he's got medium issues, but um no, we're no. just you know, we're so lucky to have everything that we have. We're very content. We feel very fulfilled and right now we just want to run a restaurant and um I've never I felt so you. good about I anything hear you. in my life.
0: Okay, well, listeners, you all need to test out really, really quality food, at the the uh, veg in Philadelphia or the fancy radish, radish if you're in, in D.C. Uh, Richard Landau, um, tell Kate Jacoby that we miss talking to her, but we love talking to you, and let's keep in touch
3: and let's Absolutely. keep following. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. And
0: you too. Thank you. Bye-bye.
3: Sure. Be well. Bye-bye.
1: Okay, my dear, we'd better say goodbye. This has I been, guess so. Been a, this has been a quite a long program. I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure you enjoyed it and found something useful to change your diet. And I I'm, I'm promise I'm going to do the same thing. And it's
0: healthy and helpful, whatever you say. So, so
1: uh, and what do we say between now and next week? Bye-bye.